Well, we're still waiting, aren't we? We're still waiting for Christmas really to kick in, for snow to fall. Certainly the cold has come. Um, perhaps there are things in your life that really sort of set off Christmas time for you. I know in our own church, for a lot of people, it's karaoke. And so the karaoke has been its Christmas time. Well, karaoke has been, so congratulations to you. For Glyn, who conducts Amford Town Silver Band, he remarks to me every single year that the concert that they do with us, for him, is ticking that box. Christmas has begun. Those of you who are friends with me on Facebook or follow me on Instagram will know that for some people, Christmas starts when I post my annual picture of the Christmas tree. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then by all means come and grab me and I will show you and I will fill you in and it will make your life richer for the experience. But in lots of different ways, we all have these markers, these things that we're waiting for to signify that at last something has arrived. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about folks in the Bible who have been waiting for something significant. We had Abraham and the promises that God had made to him, specifically the promise of a son who was to come and how he had to learn to, to trust God and how God had fulfilled promises, uh, acted in his favour in his past in order to wait for the fulfilment of that promise. Actually, we snuck ahead a bit and saw that the, the promise wasn't really fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime that Jesus coming was the fulfillment of that son who would come and would bless the nations. And we still, in a sense, are waiting for the fulfillment of that promise as we await the return of Christ. Last week, we were looking at Joseph. Joseph, who suffered so much in his life, uh, down into pits, time and time and time again, waiting for freedom and this this sense, this idea, this promise that God had given him in dreams that he would be used to save other people, though he had suffered himself. Joseph showed us how to be the sorts of people who trust God through the darkness, who fix their eyes on Jesus even when things are going hard. Well, today we're going to consider the waiting of another group of people, the people of Israel in the wilderness, as they wait at last to, to step in to the promised land, the land that actually God had been promising for generations. It was part of the promise that was given to Abraham, and it was part of the anticipation that Joseph had. At the close of the book of Genesis, we read this, Joseph stayed in Egypt. Along with his father's family, he lived 110 years. And he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children and also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh. They were placed at birth on Joseph's knee. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath to him and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones from this place 
to that place. You see, this promise was there, pregnant in the life and the experience of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and now anticipated by Joseph too. That God wouldn't leave this family in a foreign land but would bring them home, would deliver them into that place and that space where they can know him and love him and cherish him and enjoy him and worship him forever. Well, it didn't happen in any of their lifetimes. And as we turn the page from Genesis through to Exodus, we see that it didn't happen in subsequent generations either that actually it was taking longer and it was getting harder to keep on trusting God that this promise for a place of their own to dwell with God would be realised. Exodus actually begins with a new Pharaoh ascending to the throne, a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph and his exploits, didn't know how he'd saved the nation, he'd saved many lives, and actually who feared the Israelites whom God had blessed even in this place and were fruitful of multiplying. This Pharaoh enacted some terrible, horrible decrees to to make sure that the Israelites wouldn't grow, that they wouldn't prosper, to, to squash them down, to crush them down. And so the people cry out to God, cry out to God for a rescue from their hardships, cry out to God for freedom, but cry out to God to keep this promise that he had made for a place where they could know him and enjoy him. Moses is born in this time. God miraculously saves him um, through being placed in a little boat out on the river. He's actually taken into the Pharaoh's home and he rises up, he he grows up, he uh, takes on this position of leadership and authority in the nation, very reminiscent of Joseph, but he knows about his people's plight. He desires for his people to, to feel relief from the oppression that they are facing. And it all culminates in him killing an Egyptian man and having to flee off into the wilderness for 40 years in the wilderness, thinking that he's blown his shot. He's blown his chance to be the person who leads his family home once more. But then something wonderful happens, something miraculous happens. As Moses is out in the wilderness, as he's tending his flocks, God comes and reveals himself to Moses and speaks to Moses. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This is a special place, he says, where you will encounter me. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
And so Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know all about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them. To rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land. A place flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. So that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That was God's instruction to Moses reiterating that promise that this people would once again occupy a place that was just abundant and rich and full of life. God and his people together, them living as God would have them to live, God blessing as as God would desire to bless them. And well, if you don't know this story, it's definitely worth going off and familiarizing yourself with it, the story of the Exodus. God works these miracles, these plagues, these judgments through Moses on the Egyptians. The the Egyptians at last agree to let the Israelites go. They pass through the Red Sea. They enter into the wilderness and they are on their way to this promised land. Yet, yet where is the waiting in this story? The waiting comes when they arrive in the wilderness and they're not quite yet where God has promised them He's going to take them. It's wonderful in the wilderness to begin with as they're traveling from Egypt to Israel. God gives them himself. He makes a covenant with them. It's like this huge marriage ceremony where he promises to love them and they promise to love him back. And as Jesus says, those who love me will follow and keep my commands. He doesn't just give them this marriage ceremony, this covenant. He he gives them the tabernacle, a place, a, a space, holy like that burning bush, set apart for God to be in the very midst of his people, where they can worship him and give thanks to him, offer sacrifices for their sins, yes, but just in joy and appreciation for who he is and what he does in their life. And as they're making their way closer and closer to the promised land, the people keep forgetting what it is that they're going towards. They keep on forgetting it, who it is who is taking them from where they are to where they're supposed to be. While they wait, they get confused, they get frightened, they get distracted, they get tempted and led astray. And we see that no more than in the incident of the golden calf. Again, if you don't know the story, it's worth going away, familiarizing yourself with it. The people were at the the base of the mountain. Moses was up the mountain with God. The people got bored of waiting or afraid of waiting. And so instead of staying faithful to the God who was taking them to this special place, they rebelled. And they have this calf made out of gold crafted for them to worship. 
someone else that they they think they can put their trust in to keep a promise like the promise that God had made. Only God won't share us with any other God. He won't have us divided in our hearts. So at Exodus chapter 33 verses 1 to 3 we read this. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go, take the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying that I would give it to their descendants. Look, says the Lord, I will even send an angel before you to drive out those nations who occupy it, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to that land which is flowing with milk and honey, but I won't go with you. This is the Lord speaking to Moses, speaking to the people. Go up to the land, have that place, but I won't go with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people. And this is not the first rebellion. This certainly won't be the last rebellion. And I'll destroy you along the way. See, God says to them, do you know, if the most important thing in your life is having this place and having these blessings that are described to exist in this place, land flowing with milk and honey and richness and goodness, if that's more important to you than me, as you've proven through your actions, then by all means, off you go. Take it. But you won't have me when you get there. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? If we were offered everything that we wanted in life, but in return we couldn't know God, would we take that deal? Would we think that health and happiness, good reputation, experiences were worth trading for an intimate relationship with the one who made us, who created us, who crafted each and every one of us uniquely, who knows us inside out, who we were made to be in a relationship with. Would we trade him for all that? Is the good life actually good if there's no God in it. Well, further on in that chapter, uh, verse 15, Moses has had an opportunity to reflect and to think about this. And this is what he says. Moses says to God, if your presence does not go up with us, don't send us out from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses had that opportunity to reflect. Is the good life really so good if there's no God? He seems to me to realize that if there is no God, then it is no good in the first place. And so God agrees with Moses that he is going to go up with them and yet the waiting continued. Because as he said, there are stiff-necked people and when they got to the very verge of the land, they hesitate. They fail to trust God. They want to trust in themselves and their own might and it leads to 40 more years of waiting in the wilderness. 
for the majority of those people, it meant not actually entering into this promised land, this place, crossing the Jordan and going in. It meant having God still, but being in this wild place. The wait for the land takes miles longer than they initially thought, than Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or, or Moses himself. And yet, here's the lesson for us as we wait for that place, that promise that we have when Christ comes down, when heaven returns and is joined with earth and we are with God and he is amongst us. A beautiful place without suffering or sadness or tears or scorching sun or, or thirst or sickness or hunger. A wonderful place. It's taking far longer than we want, isn't it? But here's the, here's the lesson from this story of the people's waiting. Is that actually when we have God, we lack nothing. Though we are anticipating something, when we have God in Christ, we lack nothing. Psalm 84 says this, the Lord, God is a son. He is a shield. He bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. It was the same sense, the same idea, the conclusion that Paul came to in his letter to the Roman church. When he'd come to see and come to understand how God had come to give himself for us and to us in Christ. He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? As we're heading into Christmas, we're, we're going to be reminded of the names of the one who came. God gave us his very self in the son. Emmanuel, one of the names given to Jesus, means God here with us. God gave us him very himself to redeem us, to rescue us, to pull us out of that place of foreignness, apart, away from him, out of Egypt, out of sin, out of death. Jesus, God is the one who saves God has given us, haven't we learnt this recently in the book of Acts, he has given us his Holy Spirit, a comforter, to be with us, to lead us, to teach us, to, to grow us as we wait. And we can have certainty that he will give us a place to dwell with him, a place that is overflowing with his blessing, but... As Moses remarked, the good life without God is no life at all. Nothing is better than you and I being able to lay claim to God right here, right now. In that sense, we're not waiting for anything. In that sense, there's no waiting for us to do. Because Christ has come, because God has joined with us to rescue us and has sent his spirit to live here amongst us, there's no waiting for us to do. 
The wilderness waiting is like going out for a meal and waiting for the ketchup to be delivered when the steak is already on the plate, sizzling in front of you. So what do we do then? Because we do still wait, we do still want, we are still anticipating something more than we have now. And God has promised to give it to us. God's desire is to love and to bless and to care for us. So what do we do? Well, for some this morning, the first thing you need to do is to come to Christ. Is to recognise who he is, what he has done, what it means for you. That God has come and given us his very self. You know, in the wilderness, I said God gave this covenant, this marriage ceremony. He gave the tabernacle um, so that the people could worship him and enjoy him together. There in the midst of him, he gave himself. God has given himself to us in Christ. Jesus said, what good is it for you? to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He raises the bar that that actually in order for us to know life at all, we need to know him. That we don't actually start to live our lives until we have been saved, until we have been rescued, until we have been redeemed. So I ask you this morning, do you have God? Do you have a relationship with a Father in heaven through the Son by the power of his Holy Spirit? There's nothing much for you to do other than to come and to receive. And to say, as I wait for the frills, as I wait for the extras, Lord, give me that feast. That that, that most important thing, which is life with you, life in you. You can only have that through Jesus. Jesus, How do do we know that we can only have it through Jesus? Because Jesus came and he died. And he said, if there was another way, Lord, let's do that. But there wasn't. And so he willingly laid down his own life for us. Only to take it up again. That's how he saw it. That's how he said it. Come to faith. Come to Christ. Put your trust and your hope and your desires And you're waiting in his hands. And then sit back. For those of us who have come to faith, sit back and review the hierarchy. Because we do very often lose sight, don't we, of what's most important. We do very often lose sight of what is best. We desire to have more good in our life. More life in our life, more abundance and blessing. That is a fine thing because God desires that as well. But we have to fight to remind ourselves that in Christ we have it all already. We need to review the hierarchy. We need to remind ourselves that that crystal clear thought that Moses came to recognize. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then forget about the land. Because what we want, what we need, what we desperately cannot do without is you yourself. Brothers and sisters, there is so much in our life to be dissatisfied with. God is dissatisfied with it. 
Christ is desperate to remake our lives, to remake our world, to renew and to refresh everything and to bring it back into its glorious untainted scent. There is so much to be dissatisfied and disappointed with. But do not lose sight of this. Review the hierarchy that what is most important, what is most good, we already have, even in that wilderness place. So lastly, I would say this. Practice enjoying him. Even in the midst of it, practice enjoying him. The Israelites didn't wait to get into the land before they worshipped. God was there in the tabernacle, tangibly in the middle of the people. And so they brought their offerings. They brought their grain. They brought their wine. They brought their animals to lay before God and to celebrate him and who they were as a result of being brought out of Egypt for him. They didn't wait until the promised land. They enjoyed him right there in the midst of the wilderness. You and I don't have to wait until we get to get there before we can enjoy God. In the wilderness, we already have it all. You go away, you read the story. He fed them. He watered them. He watched over and protected them. They weren't yet where he wanted them to be. They weren't yet where uh, they wanted to be. And yet, the God that we have is the God who gives, who cares, who blesses, who provides. You might be anticipating that eternal place, that final place where we see him with our eyes. You might be anticipating something else happening in your life that will free you, you think, and allow you truly to worship God. I'll worship him when something happens. I have more time. The kids have grown up a little bit and I'm not tired from sleepless nights. Um, the kids have moved out and I'm not ferrying them back and forth to one event or another. I'll worship him when, when at last I'm married and, and I can have that family unit that is, that is so good in which to, to worship God together. I'll worship him when I finally have the job, which means I have security and I'm not stressed and anxious all the time. There are so many things that we can say, I'll worship God when. And we forget that those are good things. Those are blessings God may give us in our lives, but we don't need to put it off. Some of us will think, my life will really start when I make X amount of money. When I can fit into that size dress or trousers. When so-and-so finally pays attention and recognises me. That's when life will really start. Life starts the moment that we come to Christ. Life starts the moment that we have that relationship with the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. In 2023, I will begin to. You know, we're so good as humans to always putting things off just until they're over the horizon. They're always just that little bit further away, a little bit out of reach. But Christ isn't out of reach. Christ isn't over the horizon. Christ has come to us. 
So even if we are waiting, we can start living now. And that's not just something to tide us over. It's the real deal. So come to him. Have the life that he brought when he came the first time. Make sure that you make it a habit that you recognize the good things in our lives, our gifts from him, the things that we desire in our lives that he desires too will come as gifts from him. But he is the one. He is the one to know and to enjoy even in the wilderness. The good life is only good when we first have God. Lord God, we thank you that Christ has come and he has given us everything. Even though we anticipate that time and that place where, in a sense, it won't be so obvious that it comes from him, Lord, we are in the wilderness now and we are so grateful that the good that we have in our lives is there because of your grace, because of your kindness, because of your love. Help us to appreciate what we have even in this waiting space. That it is so much that, that the wait is actually over in all um, intents and purposes. Help us to enjoy you. Help us to enjoy Jesus. Help us to enjoy life in the spirit now. Not in some future just over the horizon but you have come to us where we are in this wilderness it's your desire to take us to that better place but lord god it is it is never a place where your grace and your love and your mercy and your kindness are not known to help us to live in that even as the darkness draws in, even as the cold weather comes, even as we tick off these markers for Christmas, Lord, we're not waiting for 2023 or some time in the future to start living. Help us to start living and start enjoying you right here, right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.